Good morning, everyone. You please stand with us and let's worship together.
probably one of my favorite songs right now, and I think more than ever in the culture in which we live, brothers and sisters in Christ, we better be abiding in Christ and in his word. And this is what the word of the Lord says, John 15, verse 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Apart from Christ, we do nothing, but in Christ, he is all-sufficient, and we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Amen? Amen. Amen. While you're standing, take a moment and welcome those around you. All right, if you return to your seats, you may be seated. While you're making your way back to your seats, let me just extend a welcome to you this morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church, and you can be seated once you return to your seats. We're thankful that you're here. Some of you, uh, maybe you're, you're here for the first time looking for a church home. Maybe you're just passing through the area. You're visiting family. We're thankful that you chose to worship with us 
today. We would appreciate if you would let us know that this is your first time. You can do that one of two ways. There's a QR code that you can scan inside the bulletin or you can fill out a connect card uh, back in the back. Look, we believe uh, in Jesus Christ. Uh, that's what we stand upon. And uh, so we want to we wanna be disciples who make disciples. And we believe the foundation of that is Jesus Christ. And, and part of that is we want to disciple uh, our kids and, and future generations. So Pastor Gary's up here all by himself. And so he needs some kids to come join him. So any kids that want to come, you come join while you're coming. Let me, let me make a couple of announcements uh, while you're coming. So adults, if you can listen in the midst of the commotion, uh, two announcements. Number one, this Wednesday we're beginning our Wednesday night Bible studies. So both the women's and the men's study will meet over in the education building. That information is there in the bulletin. This Wednesday also for our K through fifth grade is the K through fifth grade discipleship night. So parents, when you bring your child, make sure you bring a Bible with them. If you forget it, we have some here, but we'd love for them to bring their own Bible. So if you can do that. And then also there's an announcement in there about our membership class on September 10th. So I want to encourage you, if you have joined and you have not gone through that class, you need to. If you're thinking about joining, even if you think you may not join for six months, I still want to encourage you to join us on that Sunday morning. It'll be right here in the fellowship hall. We'll have some food for you, and we'll talk more about that next week. All right, PG, take it away. All right. The chapter of this story in our, it's called the biggest story Bible book. It's called... It's a boy. I have four kids, and I've never had to say that before. <laughs> you see, God has, a, God has a funny way, boys and girls, of making good on his promises. Uh, not funny, ha-ha, but funny like I've never thought that that was going to work out. And yet, when, God's, when God promises, they always, always work. Abraham and Sarah finally had their baby. Abraham was 100 years old. And Sarah was 90. Not exactly spring chickens or even fall chickens. More like December chickens, but the baby had come all the same. They named their son Isaac, which means he laughs because the little boy was the occasion for lots of chuckles, lots of laughter. Abraham laughed at God's promises. That was not so good. People laughed at Sarah for being so old. You just don't do that. And Sarah laughed that she finally had some diapers to change. Not as bad as it sounds. But after all those years, the father of many nations, Abraham, had a son of his own. Just like God promised. Right on time, at least according to God's watch. You might have thought that after all this waiting for a child, God would have ordered Isaac to be hidden in a cave somewhere and placed in a bubble wrap. But God told Abraham to do something much harder. A lot harder. This is a bazillion times harder. One day... Isaac was still a boy, or maybe a young man. God told Abraham to take his beloved son and sacrifice him on a mountain. You're right. Although this was probably the saddest, scariest thing God could have said to Father Abraham, 
because he was a man of faith and he was willing to do as God said. So Abraham gave Isaac some wood to carry up on this mountain. And the two of them set off on this journey up the mountain. So Abraham had learned to take God at his word. If God's plan was to see the promised child killed, then Abraham figured God must have another plan to raise him from the dead. Which is what exactly, yep. Which is exactly what God did, more or less. Just as Abraham was ready to lay a hand on his son, God said, don't do it. I see that you love me and trust me and believe me, and God provided a ram instead. That's an amazing story, right? Even more amazing is that a hundred years later, God would send his own son. Anybody know his name? Jesus, right. God would send his own son to the mountain. And this time, there would be no ram to save the day. Just a beloved son carrying the wood on his back to die for a people who didn't seem to love God or trust him. Let me pray. Let me pray. Let's close our eyes. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and grace to us. Lord, as we read through the story of Abraham, Lord, we're um, just reminded of that you are a promise-keeping God. You are a great God in whom we are to praise and worship, not just here in song, but as we listen to your word as it is proclaimed. But even now as we sing these hymns, Lord, help us. Lord, we thank you, Father, for sending the promised child to be born and to die for our sins. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Thank you, choir. All right, at this time, our kiddos are going to make their way to Children's Church, our K3, K4, and then kindergarten through second grade. Everybody else, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to Esther chapter 6. Esther chapter 6. This chapter is a pivotal chapter in this story that we have been studying. I was thinking this week, man, how do do I begin this sermon? And I didn't have a a great, clear illustration, and then the Lord kind of provided one for me at the end of Sunday school. So when I was picking up Malachi um, uh, and my, my former deacon who just rolled off, Mr. Larry Chappelle, said every time I mention my kid's name, I should have to give them money. But so this morning, Malachi, as I was picking him up, I was told that Malachi said in Sunday school class that he wants to be a missionary. It's amazing. But he wants to be a missionary to the moon. So when I picked him up, I said, that's his plan, be a missionary to the moon. I, Malachi said, well, that's not really what I meant. What I meant is I want to go preach to people on the moon. And I said, Malachi, who are you going to preach to? And I said, please don't say aliens. Like, who are you going to preach to? And this is his plan, so y'all pray for him. He says, I want to take people to the moon and preach to them. There's a lot of people here you can preach to. So you may hear one day about trips that Malachi, if he's got a lot of money, is taking people to the moon to preach the gospel to them. That's his plan. And in the words of Hannibal from the A-team, I love it when a plan comes together. I don't know if that plan's coming together. But as we ended last week, we saw these two plans. Come to the end of chapter 5, Esther's got a plan. Her people, the Jews, are in danger. She's going to go to the king and seek his favor to spare her people. That's her plan. And we kind of had to stop there because then the altar shifts to Haman. And Haman's plan is to have Mordecai hung, to have Mordecai impaled, to kill Mordecai, his enemy. And so as we end the chapter, we have these two plans. And we're waiting to see what's going to happen. And chapter 6 is the pivot point for these two plans. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to work our way through these 14 verses. As we do, we're going to do this by, I want you to notice, there's four questions that are asked here in these verses and then four answers. I want you to pay attention to that, and I'll point those out as we work our way through this text. That'll probably take up about 15 minutes, and then for the remainder 15 or 20 minutes, there's two main points that I want us to see uh, that will encourage us this morning. So let's just jump right in. This is God's word. It is living. It is active. It is breathing. This this is happening. And so let's see the the power of this. On that night, chapter 6, verse 1, on that night, the king could not sleep. So important to the story. The king could not sleep. You say, what's the big deal? I have many sleepless nights. Like maybe you didn't sleep well last night, but there's There's significance here. The king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai, this goes back to chapter 2, and it was written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, question number one, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? Now understand, this is five years later. 
And the king, because he can't sleep, they're reading these chronicles, and he's reminded of this man, Mordecai, who in essence saved the king's life, and the king wants to know, hey, how is he rewarded? Because in that day, it was important to reward people, especially if they saved your life. So that's question one. Answer one. The king's young men who attended him said, nothing had been done for him. He was never rewarded for saving the king's life. And the king said, question number two, who is in the court? Now we learn about this king, he can't make any decisions on his own. He has to constantly consult his advisors, and so he's helpless without them. And so it's, it's the middle of the night, he can't sleep. And he's just been read that Mordecai had never been rewarded. And so he said, hey, who's out in the court? Who can help me out? Who's out there? That's question number two. Now Haman, this is just some background, now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. This is early morning. Haman didn't sleep much either, right? He was excited. He was ready for Mordecai to be killed. So he's there waiting. You can't go uninvited to the king's presence. So he's out in the court waiting. Verse five, and the king's young men told him, answer number two, to question number two, who's in the court? Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, question number three, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Notice how the king is vague. He doesn't say who he wants to honor, but he asks Haman, his right-hand man, hey, I want to honor somebody. How do you think I should honor them? Now notice We get question number four before we get to the answer to the king's question, how should we honor him? Question four, and Haman said to himself, we talked last week about his pride. Here's Haman's pride on full display. Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? As he's thinking about this question, Haman in his heart is saying, the king's got to be talking about me. I mean, who else would he be talking about? Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, for the man, and here's what he should do. Here's Haman's idea. For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king had worn. These are royal robes. Let them be worn. And the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. This is all about royalty. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials, Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor. Let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Listen, Haman wasn't interested in wealth or power. He already had it. What he wanted was to be treated like a king. And what better way to be treated like a king than to put on the king's robes and the crown, to sit on a king's horse, to be paraded through the city so everybody can see him saying, this is whom the king delights to honor. Right, Haman is feeling good. And then everything changes. Then the king said to Haman, hurry, hurry, take the robe and the throne as you have said. Now listen, if you've read this story before, sometimes this loses its weight and its significance. Don't let it. Why is Haman there to begin with? He's there early in the morning because the gallows have been built 75 feet high. Mordecai is a dead man. He wants him dead. He knows the king will go along with it, so he's there waiting. The king calls him into his presence earlier 
than Haman probably imagined. He probably thought the king was asleep. So there he is, pacing, waiting, prepared to what to say. Come on in. Haman comes in. Haman, what should I do to the man that I want to honor? Hmm, this is my moment. He tells him this, and Haman's ready. He says, hurry, go get everything. As you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew. I can just imagine Haman well. King, king say what? Mordecai? I'm here because I want him dead. And now you're telling me that I've got to parade this man that I want dead through the city all morning, afternoon, on everything I've just told you. Now I've got to do this to Mordecai. Everything changes. So Haman took the robes and the horse and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. God does have a sense of humor. And he, this is irony of ironies. Why is Mordecai hated by Haman? Because he refuses to bow, and then he refuses to stand out of respect. And irony of ironies. Now here is Haman, leading Mordecai down the streets when everyone is probably bowing or standing out of respect because the king delights to honor this man. Well, how does Haman feel about this? Then Mordecai returned, but first notice this, then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. Mordecai has been paraded all morning long. And what does he do when he's done? He goes right back to the king's gate, right back to work as if nothing had changed, just going back to do his job. But Haman hurried to his house mourning, and with his head covered, <laughs> more irony, Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Now, if you were here last week, you saw these friends, and you saw Zeresh giving advice to Haman, because Haman's angry about Mordecai, and what was their advice? Look, build the gallows, have him killed. And then, listen to what they say. Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, if Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people. Well, chapter 5 tells us that, Mor that Haman says to them, Mordecai the Jew, as long as Mordecai the Jew, so were they not listening? Were they not listening that Mordecai was Jewish? Because now what they say, if Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. Listen, that's not a question. That is not, well, I wonder if he will fall. They are saying this with certainty. If Mordecai is of the Jewish people, well, I just told you he was, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. We go from Mordecai is a dead man to now one chapter later, Haman is going to be a dead man because you will not stand against Mordecai, the Jewish people, and God. And then verse 14, while they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. And then in chapter 7 next week, we're going to see that Esther finally opens up to the king about what is going on. So that's chapter 6. It's the turning point. Two things that I want you to notice. Number one, I want you to notice the power of God to turn things around. The power of God to turn things around. Listen, in your life, 
and especially this morning when it comes to this text, every one of us in this room has to decide, are the events that unfold in chapter 6 coincidence, luck, happen, stance, chance, or are they providential moments brought about by an all-powerful God? Are they coincidence? Huh, that's coincidence. Or are they providential moments brought about by an all-powerful, all-sovereign God? Consider five things. That if one of these is just off by a little bit, this entire story is derailed. Five things. Notice number one, the king can't sleep. If the king has a good night's rest, none of this happens. The king can't sleep. Why? I have no stinking clue why he can't sleep. Maybe he had a back problem. Anybody in here, your back or your neck hurting sometimes? I'm dealing with some neck stuff right now. Man, it's hard to sleep sometimes when you're uncomfortable. Maybe, maybe he had a lot on his mind and he just couldn't get comfortable. Maybe Haman building the gallows kept him awake all night. I don't know why he wasn't sleeping. Well, I do. God said, you're not going to sleep tonight, king. I'm going to keep you awake. And he doesn't sleep. That's number one. Number two, notice the king's choice of activity. The king could have called his musicians together and he said, hey, play me a sweet lullaby. I want to get to sleep. He could, have, he could have called in some guys and they could have played some games, played some skip bow or something. They could have, he could have called upon one of the many women in the harem and said, hey, I'm going to have some fun tonight with one of these ladies. What he decides to do, maybe is what you would do as well if you were trying to sleep, is he decides, hey, go get the book of Chronicles and read it to me because it's boring and I'll fall asleep pretty quick. So of all the things he could have done, he chooses. Hey, go get the book. That's number two. Number three, of all the volumes of the Chronicles and all the sections that could have been read, this section happens to be read. The section that specifically mentions that Mordecai, through uncovering this plan, saved the king's life. Volumes, paragraphs, chapters, whatever they would have done, of all these events that had happened in the king's lifetime, and of all the events, this is the one that they happened to read. Number four, Mordecai's delay in being rewarded. Five years ago, Mordecai should have been rewarded. Five years ago, Mordecai should have gotten what was due him for saving the king's life, but he didn't. He was recognized, never rewarded. Had Mordecai been rewarded five years ago, he would have heard this story and said, oh, we already rewarded him. Okay, let's move on. But he wasn't rewarded. And number five, the fact that Haman shows up at the exact moment he did. If Haman is at home snoozing, the king would find another advisor to get an idea. But the fact that Haman is building the gallows and he's eager and he shows up right there at that moment. Now listen, you can say all five of those things are coincidence, but if one is just slightly altered, this story doesn't play out the way that it does. You can say it's coincidence. You can say it's chance. I believe it's the working of an all-powerful, all-sovereign God. Anybody with me? Amen. Amen. Chapter six is the pivotal moment of this story. Hear me. Everything changes right here. Think about that. The turning point of the story of Esther is not chapter five. 
Yes, the gallows are built, that's significant. Yes, Esther has shown favor from the king and she's about to, to reveal that her people, she's a Jew, that her people are in danger, but that's not the pivotal moment. Chapter seven, Haman is hanged and, and Esther right, reveals that she's a Jew. That is, that's important, but it's not the pivotal changing moment. The moment where everything changes is right here. And where's Esther? Probably sound asleep for most of this. And then the other part, she's probably making sure the food for the second feast is being prepared. She's not in this at all. Where's Mordecai? Well, Mordecai's here, but he's a passive participant. I mean, he's not being active. He's not stepping out in faith in this moment. I mean, he's being paraded through the town. Probably didn't really want to be, knowing, knowing his character and his humility, but that's where he is. So, so why is that significant? Well, the author of scripture doesn't make mistake. God doesn't make mistake. And these men led by the spirit of God, they don't make mistakes. And I believe this is intentional. Why? Because the hero of this story is not Esther and it's not Mordecai. It's God himself. God is being right here on center stage. He's the one who turns this around and he can do so even while we are sleeping. Why? Because our God never sleeps. And our God never stops working. I love, I quote her almost every week, but it's worth quoting Karen Jobes. She says, by making the pivot point of the story an insignificant event, rather than the point of the highest dramatic tension, the author is taking the focus away from human action. She continues, the author is suggesting that beneath the surface of human decisions and actions is an unseen and uncontrollable power at work which can be neither explained nor thwarted. And then she says, and I love this, what a great God we serve. Any deity worth his salt can do a miracle now and then. Our God is so great, so powerful, that he can work without miracles through the ordinary events of billions of human lives through millennia of time to accomplish his eternal purposes and ancient promises. Church, this is good news. Yes, yes and amen, God still does the miraculous. Yes and amen, there are things that God does that we're like, man, God, if you had not done that, things would have gone south quickly. Yes, he does the miraculous, but hear me, God is also constantly working through the unexpected and insignificant events to bring about his will for his glory. Yes, the miraculous, but it's the daily tiny, what we would say insignificant events of our life, God is in charge of all of them. I've said this quote many times. It's probably one of my favorites. God is doing 10,000 things in your life right now, and you're probably aware of three of them. You're aware maybe of three to five things that God is doing, but he's doing 10,000 things. So the power of God to turn this situation around. So here's the question for you and I before we move to point number two. Are you trusting in the almighty God? Are you trusting in the almighty God? Psalm chapter four, verse eight, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. In peace, we can lie down and sleep. Now here's the reality, all of us have had sleepless nights. Again, maybe for a variety of reasons, it could be a physical ailment, it could be anxiety, worry is overwhelming us and we just can't calm our hearts and our minds. We're, we're not at peace. But what the psalmist says is in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. How can you and I, in the midst of a crazy upside down world, how can we sleep? Psalm 121 verse four, 
Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God doesn't sleep. God never sleeps. He's working in all things. So let's consider again for a moment. While everything is in turmoil here, Esther still hasn't spoken to the king. Mordecai is to be killed. No doubt the Jews are probably afraid. Maybe they're panicking. While everyone is uncertain, God is on his throne saying, hmm, I got this. King, you won't sleep tonight. And of all the things you want to do, you're going to ask for the Chronicles. And of all the stories that will open up, it will be this story. And oh, Mordecai, you wondered why you weren't rewarded five years ago? There's a reason. Be patient. Let me do my thing. And oh, of all the people, at just the right time, Haman is going to come walking in. While we're asleep, the master designer is working all things together for good. That's what he does over and over and over and over again. It's what he does. We continue with scripture. Matthew chapter 8, verse 24. Pastor Gary preached on this weeks ago. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus was what? Asleep. I don't like storms. I don't like being on a boat in a storm. I don't like the waves and the wind. So Honestly, if I'm there, I'm probably a little terrified with the disciples. Like, Jesus, what are you doing asleep? But why is Jesus asleep? Because when you have power over the winds and the waves, you got nothing to worry about. Like, why not be asleep? Like, I'm not worried about this. I, I, I am greater than this. But now the disciples weren't greater than this, so they're, they're afraid. So why do you and I not have to be afraid? Because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Because our faith is in the one who is greater and stronger than all things in this world. He has power over all of it. Now listen, let's be honest. We all want to avoid the painful. We all want to avoid the suffering. We all want to avoid the scary. Like nobody would, well maybe you would be like, sign me up, put me on that boat in the middle of a storm. I'm good. I'm not good with it. Like none of us want, none of us want to deal with death. None of us want to deal with cancer. None of us want to deal with suffering. None of us want that. But here's what Karen Jobes writes. The path to the joy God promises may wind through the swamps of suffering and despair. Sometimes for you and I to know the joy God promises means we're going to have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It means we're going to have to walk through suffering to be able to fully understand and grasp the joy that only God can provide. And no doubt God's people, as these events are unfolding, are learning that they can continue to trust in the sovereign God. Here's point number two. The love and grace of God that seeks our repentance. And please, please focus. I mean, dial in to what I'm about to say. I don't know for certain, but I wondered if the events that are unfolding in Haman's life right here, yes, this is God's way of turning everything around to deliver his people, but I also wonder if this wasn't God and his way of trying to get Haman's attention, of trying to humble Haman and lead him to repentance. I mean, think about it. He has to spend all day long honoring the very man he hates. 
I mean, leading him through. Certainly God could have used that to, to humble him, to bring him to a place of humility. He then here is warned by his friends and his own wife who gave him horrible advice, but now they warn him. Could this have been God's way of trying to give him another chance? Was God trying to give Haman another opportunity, another chance? I can't say definitively, but I know what Scripture says about God. It says in Ezekiel 33, 11, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? God's calling his people, Israel, to come back, to turn from their wicked ways. Or consider 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow, hear me, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Patient toward Ryan, patient toward Aaron, patient toward fill in your name. He's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. That's you, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It is not the Lord's desire that any of us perish. We're the ones who rebel against him. We're the ones that choose hell, that choose to live in rebellion against him. It's his desire that we all repent. But now listen, he knows we all will not repent. He knows that many are going to stay in their sins. They'll never repent. They'll never turn. They'll never believe. God is sovereign over even that. But listen to these words. Matthew 23, 37. These are the words of Jesus. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. I don't know how Jesus would have said these words. I don't know what tone he would have used, but just listen to him. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brook under her wings and you were not willing. How often, Israel, I would have gathered you to myself. So Jesus is saying, I wanted, I wanted to gather you. I think of the words that we read in Luke 15, 7, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Heaven rejoices when somebody who is lost comes to faith in Jesus. Jesus says, I wanted to gather you, but listen to these words he says, but you were not willing. You weren't willing, though I wanted to scoop you up into my arms, you were not willing. Ian God writes this, and this is how we'll close. God refuses, God refuses to be written out of the script. God refuses to be written out of the script. This is a story. This is a script. It's a true story, and some people would say, well, God's not even mentioned here. Some have even argued this shouldn't even be in the Bible because God is not mentioned. Listen, the author doesn't mention God, and it's for a reason. Because the author doesn't think he needs to mention God. Because for a Jew to read this story, it's going to be obvious that their God is working throughout all this. He doesn't have to be mentioned here. So some want to write God completely out of the book of Esther, just completely out of the script and remove it from his word. You can't write God out of the script. There are millions of people right now who have completely written God out of the script of their life, completely written God out of their story. They're living in 
outright rebellion. They want nothing to do with God. They reject him. They laugh at you. They mock at you. They scoff at you because you have given your life to Jesus. Maybe you are one. If you're honest, you have written God out of the story. Or maybe, maybe your story is you gave your life to Jesus at some point in the past. But your present life, God's not in the script. You don't consult God when you make decisions. You're not, as we sang in that song, abiding in him. You're not depending upon him. Yes, you said a prayer. You got out of hell for free, right? You didn't have to go to jail, right? You just, you just, you're out of hell, right? You're good. I'm, I'm saved. But he's not a part of your life. But hear me, hear me. God refuses to be written out of the script. Because listen to Philippians chapter 2. So that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How often, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you, but you were not willing. Jesus is calling. Jesus has given his life. He's laid down his life. And right now, you can try to write him out of your story. But a day is coming. When every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and God will get the glory. So hear me clearly. You can confess now, you can bow now, or you will confess and bow later. He will get the glory, whether you want him to or not. You will not write him out of your script. You will bow and you will confess. Now, if you do it later and you don't do it now, You've waited too late. Our God is merciful. He doesn't wish any perish, but you've had your choice right now. When you stand before him and you see that he is the king of kings and lord of lords, he is the very one that we've given our life to follow, it'll be too late for you to say, oh, wait, Jesus, let me do it now because he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I was willing, but you weren't, and I never knew you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you hear nothing else this morning, what's holding you back? Why won't you just bow before him? I'll tell you why, it's pride. Everything comes back to pride. You don't think you need him, you don't want him, you got this all figured out on your own, but you don't. You need a savior and only Jesus can save you from your sins. Now here's the reality. For those of us trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, we bow now, we confess now. And we will bow and we will confess then and we will spend all eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ worshiping the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. Amen. The choice is yours to make. The choice is yours. I guess God could have made us all robots, forced us to love him and worship him. But if that was the case, could we ever sing I depend on you? because we really don't have a choice. Listen, I believe God is sovereign over all things, and that includes salvation. But I believe man is also responsible. And I said a couple weeks ago, I don't know how all that works out. But here's what I know. If you've never given your life to Jesus, do it right now. Today is the day of salvation. If you've given your life to Jesus and he's not part of your script, he's not part of your story, doesn't mean he's not working. He's still working, and I believe the way he's working is he brought you to this moment for such a time as this, sitting under the preaching of God's word so that you could get right with the Lord, so that you could repent and return to the Lord. And if you are walking with the Lord, brothers and sisters, keep walking. 
Keep walking. It doesn't matter how hard it's going to get, and I think it's going to get harder. Just keep walking because God will not sleep. He will not abandon his people. He's right here working right now, and we can stake our lives upon that sovereign, all-powerful God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to this moment at such a time as this, and Lord, whatever is about to happen will not catch you off guard. Lord, I pray right now for that person who, Lord, maybe made that decision to trust in you years ago, but has not been walking with you, has not been following you, has basically written you out of their story. Lord, you brought them to this moment. Lord, to to bring about repentance, to bring about that dependence and confession for you and dependence upon you. Father, for the person that God is here this morning and, and maybe they've never given their life to you, they've rejected you, they've resisted, Father, one day they will bow. Lord, I pray today is that day. Today they will finally stop running and they will hear that still small voice, the Spirit of God drawing them to him, drawing you, drawing them to you, Father, and that they will just surrender and give their life to you. And Father, for the brothers and sisters in this room who are, who are growing, who are abiding, who are, God, seeing you working in their lives, yes, in the miraculous, but also in the, the everyday mundane things of life, oh Lord, hold us fast. Hold us fast as suffering, as persecution may be coming to us sooner than, than we would like for it to do, Lord, hold us fast, knowing that whatever we walk through, God, you will not sleep, you will not slumber, you will not stop working. And may we just cling to that right now as we wait for you, King Jesus, to come for your bride. Help us to be steadfast in that. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'll be here at the front. You can come and pray as the Spirit leads you. But let's, let's respond as we sing. Why?
seated for just a couple moments. Some announcements that I want to draw your attention to. If you are on the finance team meeting or you're one of the two that's rolling on, um, we're going to have a very short meeting in the conference room. Um, So if you'll go ahead and head over that way as soon as possible and uh, we'll be done with that. Um, So our schedule for tonight, normal schedule, we have Awana, uh, we have youth, uh, we have Bible study, uh, that starts at 6 p.m. All those times are listed in there. Awana is earlier and youth is earlier, but Bible studies at 6 right in here. Um, that's recorded. Uh, that went really well last week, the quality and everything. So you can go to the, the website and it's under Sunday night Bible study. It's the study on Revelation. Um, so you can check that out. And then after all those events at 7.15, we have our annual church conference. This is always an exciting time. We vote on the things for the next year, but we also hear ministry reports for some of our, from our leaders over the past year, and we get to see how God has worked, and we get to give him praise for that. So I want to encourage you um, to be here for that. Also, there is an announcement in here about volunteers for our children's ministry. So whether that is nursery, children's church, if you feel led to serve in that way, please see Miss Rachel um, for that. And then also, it's not in the bulletin, but we also have a need for the audio and video. So if you are interested in working with either the video part or the audio part, you've got some training or you have a little bit of background and you say, hey, train me or, hey, I think I could do this. Will you train me? Just let, please see Trip and, and let Trip know. And we just have that need. They're back there in the booth. We don't see them, but they do a vital, vital role to what we do here on Sunday mornings. And so please see Trip if that's a way that you would think, hey, I would like to serve. And then lastly, two more things that are not in the bulletin from children's ministry. One is the fall festival, which is on Sunday night, October 29th. Um, sorry, I'm pulling up my text message here on October 29th, the sign-up sheet and donation tags will be on the bulletin board next week. And last announcement from children's ministry. If you are a teacher, whether that is in public school, private school, or you homeschool, We have a gift for all of our teachers, Um, and then I think we have a few others that may be in administrative roles or something in schools. If you will go to the fellowship hall when we're done and just pick up that gift that we have for you as a way of saying, hey, we're praying for you um, and the work that God is going to do through you in uh, your job as a teacher, whether that's at home or in a school setting. Um, And so thank you for all the work that you do. So that's in the fellowship hall. All right. Our deacon of the week is Kevin. So he's going to come close us with a word of prayer. So if you will please stand and hopefully we'll see you tonight. Let us pray. So Father, we just, uh, just thank you for this opportunity to come to your house this morning and praise and worship you. We just thank you for Pastor Aaron and 
of the, the ministry that he has and the word that he's sharing. Just, we just thank you for the, the power um, that you give us and the, we just pray for uh, wisdom and discernment as we go um, our different ways. Just ask that you would bring us all back tonight in your heavenly and gracious name. Amen.